Australian Muscle Car Magazine is one of the most respected voices in motoring media. There's been over 140 issues and thousands of stories published in the last 22 years, from the amazing muscle car machines of the past to the present and the stars that steered and built them. AMC has something for everyone. Delve into the heritage of homegrown high performance now at musclecarmag.com.au. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hello and welcome to this week's Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here's what's making news this week. Scott McLaughlin is an IndyCar race winner. The three-time Supercars champ started from pole and, despite having to navigate some lap traffic late in the race, held off Alex Pillow to win at the Grand Prix of St. Petersburg. Rihanna Cream will be back on our TV screens this year. After being axed from the Supercars coverage last year, she has been named as a pit reporter for the 2022 season in place of Charlie Robinson, who is stepping down for personal reasons. That's the only really big change in the TV lineup, which will once again be led by Jesse Yates, Mark Scaife, and Neil Crompton. As we foreshadowed last week, Scott Pye has a new backup for the 2022 Supercar season. Watch brand Seiko replaces DeWalt on his Team 18 entry. Premier Racing had its first test cut short by poor weather at Queensland Raceway last week, which means it will head to its first Supercars round this weekend in Sydney with just a shakedown under its belt. And there were 37 cars on the grid for the opening round of the Australian Formula Ford Series on the weekend, which is pretty impressive. Uh, Jordan Sinney won the round with two race victories and the other race win went to Cody Donald. Now, joining me this week to discuss all that and much more is a teammate who I would never even consider running into the wall at Auto Club Speedway, Stefan Bartholomeus. Stefan, how on earth are you this week? It's always a pleasure to speak with you, Andrew. You find me in Melbourne this week. I'm here doing some work at V8 Sleuth headquarters. Oh, wow. As you you know, I live on the Gold Coast, so it's an unusual time to be away from home, but uh, obviously our thoughts are with everyone dealing with the flooding in Queensland and New South Wales while we're here chatting about the relatively unimportant world of motor racing. It does feel a bit unimportant this week with what's going on around the world, and I totally agree. A big, um, yeah, I hope all of our listeners in any areas affected by the floods are hanging in there and, and going okay, but... The show must go on in the motor racing world to some extent, and it's pretty hard to go past Scotty Mack's breakthrough IndyCar win as our headline news this week. Stefan, from the way he's talking and clearly the way he's driving, you know, the way he won that race, it feels like, you know, our, our former champion, he's he's fought, really got his head around IndyCar now. He's arrived as an IndyCar driver. What do you reckon? Yeah, absolutely. It was an incredible result. I don't think too many people saw it coming. He had a pretty solid first year last year, but this was a massive jump. The, the pole lap he did on Saturday uh, felt like something brand new to see him get a pole in IndyCar, but we'd seen that trick before when he goes out and does one lap at the end of the <laughs> session and, and trumps everyone. But then in the race, he was just faultless. Like Not only did he have the speed, but he controlled the start. His tyre management was really good, fuel save. You know, and as you mentioned at the top, like he had to withstand a lot of pressure there at the end um, with some lap traffic involved as well. So the only thing he really messed up all, all weekend was when he jumped out of the car and fell on his ass. Yep, bit of a uh, bit of a sort of back somersault or something like that. I don't know what the 
what the technical gymnastics term would be. But anyway, I uh, I grabbed David Mousher Lopez, who's one of the top journos in the IndyCar paddock, for a chat about this exciting start to the IndyCar season. Well, from an Aussie perspective and Kiwi perspective, an exciting start to the IndyCar season. And I started out by asking him what the US reaction uh, for McLaughlin's first win has been. The local reaction, I think, is that everyone's been massively impressed. You know, you'd think that they might be this uh, kind of like, not a resentment, but a kind of feeling of, mm, yeah, he drives for Penske. Of course, he's going to win eventually. I think people have appreciated that it's just such a massive step to go from supercars to uh, open wheel. Uh, so there's that element to it. I think there's also an element to it that, wow, what's changed since last year? Because I'd say last year's street courses uh, were the courses that he struggled most with. Uh, you know, there were definitely days where he was absolutely furious with himself because he'd be struggling to keep up with Will Power and Joseph Newgarden. And this year, there's none of that. Uh, you know, I mean, if he had just topped practice and then finished up sixth on the grid, everyone would have been praising him. But the fact that he was a, a contender for Paul and took it and beat Will to Paul, uh, you know, I mean, I think people do reckon that that is a huge deal. And then the fact that he then remained very composed under pressure uh, from Alex Pelot, the reigning champion, uh, in the final stint of the race, and that he had also been able to save fuel and look after his uh, softer, uh, softer compound tyres during the race. He looked like the complete package. Now, obviously, that's a pretty tough thing to define in IndyCar because a complete package means you're also good at ovals and road courses. But, you know, he looked pretty good on ovals last year, second place at Texas, fourth place at Gateway. So we reckon he's got that now. So, like, the next challenge is, like, see him on the natural terrain road course. Has he made the same leap there? Uh, I, you know, I definitely think that there's, um, there's by the end of the race, there was definitely a feeling that hey, this isn't just a one-off. This isn't just one a, a guy having one of those you know his day of days. That he just answered so many challenges and came up trumps and uh, got the job done. So, and I think psychologically, it's also a massive threshold for him to break through. Uh, in that he now knows he can do it. Uh, and you you know what he's like. Um, you know, he's 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 cocky, confident, call it what you will. But once once he's got that uh, confidence in him, he becomes more formidable. So I reckon we're going to see another win or two from him this year. He's a ruthless winner. We, we saw that in supercars, no doubt about it. I mean, you touched on his form on ovals and road courses. We saw him finish second on an oval last season, so we know he is capable of getting a result on that style of track. I mean, yeah. could we see him challenging for the title this year or am I getting carried away with the with the round one race win hype? Honestly, I don't think so because I think he has the right mentality. You know, last year, Everyone was just astounded that Alex Pelot finished on the podium in half the races in a in a series that's just so ridiculously compact. Like, I think there's 21 cars covered by one second in qualifying. Um, 
or certainly in practice, when everyone was on the same tyres. So to be able to achieve that consistency, for me, Alex Tolu kind of like wrote the wrote the book of how to win a championship, three wins, five other podiums, uh, and, you know, really strong top fives. I think his average finish was seven. And funnily enough, uh, McLaughlin said he came into the weekend uh, him and his new engineer, Ben Bretzman, saying they wanted the top seven because they're figuring that, you know, a seventh place, if that's the average, that's how Palo won the title last year. Yeah, that's what we need to aim for, always being uh, seventh or better. And, uh, but then, you know, obviously after getting pole position, their parameters somewhat shifted. I mean, I guess the shorter answer to your question is, I think we need to see him on each of the different types of circuit. Um, Iowa is going to be completely new to him. And that's a short oval and it's a bumpy short oval. It's a real tough nut to crack because it's almost like a street course set up on an oval. Um, so he's got to deal with, he's got to deal with that. And that's a double header. So that's going to be a lot of points available there. And then we need to see how he does in the double points in the 500. But aside from that, yeah, I mean, I don't have many misgivings. I think he will. I think he will be top five in the championship this year. Uh, I wouldn't definitely nail nail him to the kind of like champions uh, champion position just yet. But uh, I think he's a contender. Moving on from Scotty Mack, there was a classic uh, Will Power rant in the press conference um, at the, uh, well, I think a couple in a couple of press conferences over the weekend about there being no blue flags in in in, um, in IndyCar. Um, I didn't yeah. actually know that, and I find it kind of staggering that lap cars can just sort of wobble around in the way without actually falling on the wrong side of the rule book. Why? Why is the case? I mean, that's that's weird, right? That there's no blue flag rules in in for, particularly on street tracks and road courses. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's a bit of a throwback to the days when there used to be a lot of yellow flags, you know, whereas this year, you know, we look at St. Pete and there's only one blue flag, despite there being six rookies in the field. Uh, you know, you just end up uh, expecting there to be uh, caution periods. And uh, basically, drivers are allowed to fight to stay on the lead lap so that when the caution comes out, they cycle to the, you know, they get back, uh, you know, to the tail end of the lead pack because everyone's uh, bunched together. Um, and obviously, at ovals, that used to be less of a deal because you could, you know, if you're fast enough, you could unwrap yourself uh, from the leaders uh, fairly simply. I don't know what their, how they would legitimise how they would justify uh, the the fact that drivers are allowed to do this. Uh, but it it can and does regularly uh, interfere with the uh, with the lead battle, you know. And then you also have a hopeless uh, and completely uh, unwinnable argument of if if you're coming up to lap a uh, a tail ender who's a teammate of the guy that. Uh, you're battling with, you know, that driver can then make it very hard and back you up into your pursuer to help his teammate. Um, and you never get, you can never prove intention, right? You can only prove uh, facts. 
So someone could say, oh, no, he just called me at the wrong place. And in fact, he was deliberately backing him, uh, backing the leader up into uh, his, his pursuing teammate. So it it is a ludicrous rule. Um, 100% with, I'm 100% with power on a lot of things. Uh, and this is this is one of them. It's stupid, especially when he's come up with what I think is completely legitimate remedy, which is to, if in the event of a caution flag, everyone gets a lap back so that they they won't fight you then for the lead because they know they're going to get a wave around and go around to the back of the pack anyway. And then they stop yeah. interfering with the lead battle. It's such a simple solution, but my worry is that Will's banged the drum for so long that people have grown deaf to uh, his request or, you know, it, if a bunch of the drivers, and he reckons all but one of the drivers have agreed to this rule, then that looks like, uh, you know, people power has pressured the governing body into uh, making this change. And I think there's too many egos involved at the top of the sport to uh, uh, to let that to let that happen to be seen as uh, pushovers or capitulating to the uh, capitulating to the masses. But it it's frankly ridiculous, and uh, it's so easily solved as Power pointed out. And thanks to David for his time there. You can check out his brilliant IndyCar coverage across the motorsport network platforms like motorsport.com and autosport.com. Every lap in under a minute means every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Tick Attack. Supercars unforgettable. Stefan, let's take a look at what's happening a bit closer to home, and it's race week for supercars. Finally, we're going to see supercars racing around Sydney Motorsport Park. I mean, it's been a while. I've forgotten completely what that what that looks like. I guess we should probably give the new season a bit of a preview, so I'm just going to chuck a couple of questions at you, and then maybe we can run through our top 10 predictions for the year. I'll start with a fairly straightforward question. Who's going to be our champion this year? Well, assuming we only have one event at Sydney Motorsport Park, which is a big leap, I know. I can't go past Shane Van Gisbergen to be the champion. He was so far ahead of everyone else for most most of 2021 that he probably has to start favourite. He was quick everywhere last year. The car was reliable, and as a driver, I think he's at the peak of his powers. But it's certainly not as safe a bet as it might sound on first uh, first listen because of those big changes that are going on at Triple Eight, I mean, there's been a lot of attention on the fact that Jamie Winkup has retired from full-time driving and replaced uh, Roland Dane as team principal there. But uh, for, for me, the key is how Andrew Edwards settles into that race engineer role on the 97 car. Shane has had engineer changes before and had instant success while at Triple Eight, but that's been with guys already in the Triple Eight system. And it's a very different place to uh, to Brad Jones Racing where Andrew Edwards has been engineering Nick Perkat. So how he fits into that AAA ecosystem I think is going to be critical. And if you look at some of the other rivals, they've got a bit more stability on their side. But um, as much as that's a big question mark, I still can't go past Shane as, as a champion. What about yourself? Yeah, I agree. I think it's going to be Shane. I, I take your point about, you know, obviously the, the changes there, big changes. I think certainly at the top end of town in terms of, you know, Jamie Winkup now being the boss, that's that's going to be 
it's going to be critical how that plays out. I, I can see Andrew Edwards sort of slotting into that role fairly seamlessly just because he does have so much experience in the category and Shane's got so much experience in the category and Shane has a fairly good engineering understanding. So I think, you know, if we were jumping straight into a Gen 3 situation, maybe there'd be more question marks. But I actually sort of feel like that relationship could work fairly well. And again, you know, we'll talk about this in a minute. I think there is going to be... Um, there are rivals out there that are going to be able to challenge Shane, but it's just so hard not to name him as the champion because, as you said, he was just so good last year and he really is just at the absolute peak of his powers and it, it's, it will take a huge effort from somebody to get on top of him this season. If someone's going to do it, who do you think it could be, Stefan? Who who out there could really push, uh, push Shane the hardest this year? I think that next group of, of challenges, which is Anton Deep Squally, Chaz Mostert, and Cam Waters, are all pretty close. Like it wouldn't surprise, it wouldn't be a total surprise for Anton or Chaz to win win the title. But for me, I think Anton now in the second year at Dick Johnson Racing, he's got that relationship with Ludo down pat. They really came out after that break and were much improved. Clearly, Sydney Motorsport Park suits their package, but. Um, they really seem to have made the most of that break in the in the season last year and were strong in the back end. So I would expect them to uh, to really go on with it and they've just got to uh, make sure they're there every week and, and not have the DNFs like they had last year, which which really cost them. Yeah, I, I think to me, Chaz Mostert is the is the really big chance. You know, I, I think he could really be a title contender this year. I've spoken to multiple Technical personnel and drivers at other teams who, you know, their 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 eyes were opened in a pretty dramatic way by his pace at Bathurst last year, and they feel that that was genuine pace. There's always somewhere like Sydney Motorsport Park. You know, we saw the DJRs and the Erebus, and these guys having good, a lot of good form there, which you can maybe put down to some of the unique traits of that track. Not to say Bathurst doesn't have any unique traits, but just the margin was so incredible that I think some guys are going, well, that. That's uh, this guy could really be in the hunt this year. So um, I think that he's the guy who could really push Shane the hardest and very well may end up winning the championship. Um, I guess Anton and Cam Waters are, are, the, are the, the other two that you might sort of put in that. Where are they going to fit in? For, for the exact reasons that you just touched on with Anton in terms of second year at DJR, we saw him finally hit some form. He seemed to at least maybe gain an understanding of how to get the most out of a Ludo car at Sydney Motorsport Park. So, you know, it could very well be. This is a big year for Anton, I think, to really show that he's in that absolute top group, that he is a Shane. He is, you know, as good as a Scotty Mack. He is as good as a Chaz. This is this is his big chance to prove that this year. Have they got the consistency? That's probably the question mark for me. And exactly the same goes for Cam Waters. We saw Cam, you know, there were times last year where he looked by far the, you know, that was the that was the second best car and driver package in the field, and then it tailed off pretty badly, particularly at Sydney Motorsport Park. So, I think consistency is the big question mark for both DJR and uh, Tickford Racing. Who, who's under the most pressure in twenty twenty two? Do you think, Stefan? For me, it's it's Walkinshaw Andretti United as a team. Really, like everyone in that team is under pressure to perform, and that sounds that sounds negative, but it's it's kind of not because they've earned this this pressure. They've they've built up over the last few years to now where it looks like they are a full blown genuine title contender. Obviously, they ended twenty twenty one with the Bathurst win and and adding Nick Perkett and and Jeff Slater 
into that mix should should only make the team stronger. It's the third year of, of Jazz and Adam DeBore there, so they should be contending for the title. But that pressure is on to be consistent every week, which is something that they've they've lacked. We know what they're capable of on a good day, but they need to bring that every time. And a slow start at City Motorsport Park would be uh, would be a massive letdown after uh, what they did at Bathurst last year. Yeah, it's funny you talk about a slow like. I think it's really important if you, we look at where sort of Triple Eight was sitting in the pecking order at Sydney Motorsport Park. It'd be nice to see Chaz or Anton or someone actually get the better of Shane there. Just going off topic slightly to kind of because if Triple Eight go there and Shane grinds out a race win or two, then you sort of go, wow, it's going to get hard for everyone else from here. I think coming back to who's under the most pressure, um, I'll stick with the Walkinshaw theme because I think that. You know, I think it's Nick Perkett, and I've mentioned this before, but, you know, he's made the decision, the admirable decision to leave the calm, safe waters of Brad Jones Racing and deliberately put himself under pressure by matching up at Walkinshaws against Mostert, you know. So I think he's under pressure, but it's a pressure he's put on himself, almost the same as what you're talking about with the team. Um, I mean, Mostert is probably going to be a title contender this year, and that's a big test for Nick to try and match him, but... I rate him for taking that chance and for basically sort of staking his career on matching one of the best in the business. And, you know, he's made that call. He went out of his way to do that. So that's that's something to be admired, but it's really going to be something uh, – it's going to be something fascinating to watch. All right, let's get into some tips. Run me through your championship top ten. Well, as I said before, I've gone with Shane Van Gisbergen for the title and then mm-hmm. Anton Di Pasquale, Chaz Mostert, Cam Waters, Nick Perkat, Will Brown, Will Davison, Brody Kostecki, Brock Feeney, and Tim Slade in 10th. I think we've actually got the exact same 10 drive. Okay, so here's mine. So again, Shane Van Gisbergen. I've got Chaz Mostert in second instead of Anton. I've got Anton in third. Nick Perkat, uh, Cam Waters, Will Brown, Brody Kostecki, Will Davison, Tim Slade, and Brock Feeney. Is that the exact same 10 drivers? Just it in is slightly the different 10. positions? Yep. The interesting one there for me is I found Brock Feeney really hard to place and we've ended up with him in a pretty similar sort of position there. In uh, I've had, got him ninth and you've got him tenth. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, on a good day, I think he'll be at the front. But, um, geez, it's, it's hard for a rookie, isn't it, to be there all the time. I, I, I didn't actually find it that hard to place him at all. I feel like that's exactly where he's kind of going to end up. Like he, You're right. He's going to be at the front. We saw at Bathurst. I mean, I know he shunted out of the race, but he looked like a guy capable of running. He looked like a guy comfortable running in that front group. And you can clean up the crashes, but you can't make someone a heap faster. Um, so I sort of feel like he's going to have a season very similar to Jamie Winkup's first season's Triple A driver. That's what I think and that's where I kind of landed on him sitting in about that 10th because he'll have some really good days and he'll have some not so good days and you know that's going to be a challenge for him because there's a lot of expectation as a Triple A driver but this is the main game in supercars and he really had everything going his way in Super 2 and he's not always going to have everything going his way in the main game so there's going to be some tough days but He'll have good ones as well, and that's where he'll end up um, in that tenth spot. So for me, I, yeah, I sort of, I, I, I think that was a fairly comfortable one um, for me. Probably, I found Slady maybe a tougher one to sort of commit to the top ten, just because of the fact that, that team's going to have some disadvantages in terms of 
um, it's pit order and stops and that sort of stuff, particularly at the refueling races. But you made a really good point about you know the technical package and how strong that could be, and that kind of got him over the line. For me, who just missed out on the top ten for you? Well, I guess for both of us, it's going to be the same sort of sort of teams like Grove Racing, the Team 18 guys, and and BJR, which is uh, probably going to be led by Andre Heimgartner this year. They're sort of all they all want to be in the top ten, but um, they've got to knock out some quality uh, driver and car combos yeah. to do it. And Groves, I mean, they're obviously spending some money. You know, they've got David Couchy on board across from Triple Eight, and and uh, got a bit of an engine tie-up now with Walkinshaws, but they're coming from a fair way back, and it's, it's hard to see that it'll be much different than what we've had there with sort of flashes of some speed, but uh, pretty inconsistent. Yeah, massive inconsistency. And we've seen with Walkinshaws that you can go on the biggest hiring spree in the world, but it still takes time, you know, and it will yield results eventually, but not necessarily straight away so I, that's why I've got both you know I've got you know the, the Dave Reynolds and Lee Holdsworth not a long way out of the top 10 but just out of the top 10 I sort of think that you know uh, and Nick Perkett was such an asset to Brad Jones racing in terms of he just knew he was going to find himself in the top 10 in the points and whether Andre is going to be at that level straight away I'm not 100% sure so I've sort of got him sitting about the 12th so um, yeah, there's a there's a few interesting things to shake out, but that that block behind the top ten is so difficult because you could have someone in twentieth that might finish eleventh or ninth or whatever. Like it's it's tough, right? Yeah, absolutely. That whole uh, that whole ten through twenty is probably harder to predict than than one through ten in a way. Yeah, absolutely. Well, neither of us had Cam Waters as our champion, but I know for a fact that he wants to prove us wrong, and I know that because I spoke to him about his chances this season. I started off by asking him how he was feeling heading into the 2022 campaign. Um, yeah, I'm really excited to get into the season. It's, um, it's been a pretty interesting off-season for me, a lot different to the previous years. And, um, you know, we had an up-and-down year last year, but I'm um, yeah, pretty confident that we've taken a few steps forward in the off-season. Let's just like reflect on 2021 a little bit. Given how strong your form was at the end of 2020, you know, we all thought that you'd really make a big title push last year. It, it kind of didn't happen. There was some bad luck along the way, particularly right at the start of the season. There was a bit of inconsistency sort of around Sydney. Was it a bit disappointing? Like, how did you feel? Or am, or am I being way too harsh in, in calling it that when you, you know, you had some wins and you had some good results as well? Um, I guess it was a little disappointing in the end, but. We, you know, we we're probably the second best car for a lot of the year until we went to SMP, and we just had a bit of bad luck through the year, um, which you know put us on the back foot. But um, yeah, I think we were probably the second best car until SMP, and then yeah, everyone wrote us off at, after SMP. So um, yeah, I think we probably weren't ready, to be honest, to go after a complete title to be consistent at every single track and that's probably something that we're focused on in the off season so hopefully we've uh, you know ticked a few of those boxes and, and we can you know be strong in you know, every single track not just you know the deepest strong tracks yeah I mean we, we know that when you've got the car under you you can win do you feel that you have got some direction on how to have that car more consistently and like at Sydney Motorsport Park in particular given we're going back there I mean you seem to think from memory you were sort of starting to find some form towards the end of the the Sydney swing last year do you feel that you might have unlocked what you need to do to get a, get some results there this weekend? Yeah 
Uh, I definitely feel more confident. Um, we've had a really good off-season. We had a really good test day, and I think that kind of answered a few of our questions that we had, um, why we struggle at, at SMP. So, you know, we'll have to go there and we have to see if we have turned the corner or not. And um, I think if we have, then, you know, we're definitely in for a good shot this year. Um, how's the atmosphere heading into the new campaign? There's a couple of fresh faces in Jake Kostecki and Tommy Randall, although Tommy's been around the Tickwood Trats for a long time. Does it kind of bring some fresh perspective to the team when there's new faces hanging around? Yeah, the vibe's really cool at the moment in Tickford. Um, I think everyone was really hanging for a break at the end of the year, the four SPs. Yeah. Really burnt everyone out, and then, you know, Bathurst always wrecks you. So, yeah, yeah the off-season's been great. Everyone's, you know, had a bit of a break and um, everyone's on the same page now and you know you touched on having the new guys rock up with um, Thomas and, and Jake and they're very energetic and excited to get into the year and um, it's probably helped lift the place a little bit more than what it already was. Is there sort of a sense that, you know, hopefully, fingers crossed, touch wood, all that sort of stuff, we might have a bit of normality in terms of travel and that sort of stuff and not being stuck on the road for a long time? Does it is there a bit of relief that, that we're sort of facing that as opposed to just the constant question marks over the past two years? Yeah, I think everyone's pretty excited to not have to go away and, and you know, race on the road like we did last few years. But, yeah, fingers crossed that's all behind us and, you know, there's not a new variant or something stupid <laughs> happening and the government's lock us out again. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> fingers crossed we've got a normal season ahead of us and, we can just, you know, focus on the next race, which is planned, and um, it'll be a bit more normal. It would definitely be nice. Now, you know, I think we can safely assume that Giz is going to be a title contender this year. Who else do you see as guys that are going to be in the fight? Like, obviously, yep, you're going to be there. Um, Anton, Chaz, the Erebus guys, <laughs> who are you sort of looking over your shoulder and going, hmm, this guy could kind of um, could be in the fight this year? Um, I think Shane... Obviously, will be up there. Um, Chaz, I think, will definitely be competitive. I think they're probably going to step it up again this year. Um, I'll probably put Shane and Chaz as the main competition at the moment. I think yep. DJR, they're probably still a little bit up and down. Um, last year, they, they were up and down at times. Um, but you know, definitely had the, the tracks that I was super strong at. So, to me, they probably need to fix that. Kind of like us with our tracks that we were up and down at. Um, but, yeah, they're probably the main two. Plus, maybe Anton. Um, I think the Erebus guys are probably still a little bit young. Um, I think, you know, they've been pumped up a little bit just after the SMP form they had. Um, but, yeah, they're, they're definitely going to keep improving as well. So it's going to be a pretty tough year for sure. Uh, it's probably... Six guys that can have a shot at it, but there's probably you know, two or three, maybe four, realistically, that can get it. Now, before I let you go, you've spent the summer sliding around in a sprint car. Um, I was actually down at Kunana Motorflex for the first time in years last week, and, geez, those things just look wild to drive. What's it like in the driver's seat trying to wheel, I don't know, what is it, 800 horsepower, 900 horsepower around a dirt track? Uh, yeah, they're wild. It's <laughs> the easiest <laughs> way to put it. Um, uh, so much fun to drive. You have so much horsepower. They're light. They make so much grip with the wing and the big tyres. 
Um, and, you know, things happen so quick, but you have to be super smooth in them, which, you know, it's actually pretty challenging with how rough the track is at times and, and everything. So it's really good as a race car driver to drive something that challenges you so much. And, yeah, and um, you know, just to be, you know, up on the wheel on one of those things, but then having to remain calm, pull the tear off, have someone slide, job you, um, think about where your wing is, all those things just makes you a better race car driver. So... It's been um, a very interesting off-season for me. You know, I've been absolutely flat out. I think I've done 14 or 15 shows this year. Wow. Um, which has been been crazy, but I feel, you know, really sharp. And um, hopefully it'll help me um, this year with the supercars. Well, if it rains in Sydney this weekend, some recent experience of going sideways might come in pretty handy. Best <laughs> of luck for the uh, for the opener. It's probably if it's more when, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, I think so. Thank I think that's how it's looking. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully we're doing some racing at all. That's a, that, that's all I want to see, just some racing. Even if it's yeah. raining, let's go yeah. racing. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, man. Some interesting insight from Cam on a few of his rivals there, and we thank him for his time. Now, let's take a look at what is happening around the world. Kyle Larson took victory in NASCAR's Fontana race, although for a second week running, there was some friendly fire between teammates. This time it was Larson hitting Hendrick teammate Chase Elliott while battling for the lead. Alfa Romeo has unveiled a pretty hot-looking livery for its C42 Formula 1 car ahead of the new season. Uh, Mercedes ended the first test in Spain on top while porpoising, where cars basically start bouncing up and down from about 320 kilometres an hour onwards, which must be a heap of fun in the driver's seat, was the buzzword of our first week of testing. Toyota driver Calais Rovenpera took a comfortable win at a snowy rally Sweden. The Finn now leads the WRC standings over Thierry Neuville. In related news, Rally Sweden is here to stay for at least the next couple of years thanks to a new deal with the WRC that runs until 2024. They actually moved that event north this year to try and find a bit more snow after a couple of sort of more muddy rather than snowy years. Uh, and former supercars driver, speaking of snow and ice and that sort of stuff, Simona Di Silvestro has set her sights on the Winter Olympics. She's taken up the bobsleigh, which she feels is her best shot at Olympic glory thanks to her background in motor racing. Uh, she finished fifth in the monobob class at the Swiss Championships on the weekend at St. Moritz. That was her first outing in a bobsleigh. So that's a pretty wild career shift there. Um Stefan, I think it's time that we uh, we stick our mitt into the Castrol mailbag and uh, and see what we pull out. Uh, this week's listener letter comes from Justin Olden. He wants to know if IndyCar could be a legitimate pathway to Formula One rather than Formula Three and and Formula Two. That's a very interesting question. Um, I think that the answer is yes, although not necessarily in the place of F3 and F2. Like Perhaps it's sort of somewhere to go after F2 if there's no space in Formula 1, and we've seen that this year with Oscar Piastri, how quickly you can kind of rise through the ranks and not necessarily find any room at the Formula 1 in. Um, we've seen Alex Pelot. He started his career in Europe. He went to Japan, uh, and then he decided that IndyCar was the best place for his career progression, and that's obviously going pretty well, and he could make a play for Formula 1 if he wanted to. There's a lot of talk that Pato, Pato O'Ward is next in line for a McLaren F1 seat uh, when one becomes available. So, you know, we could see that pathway actually coming to life sooner rather than later. And IndyCar is definitely in a, you know, it's on the, not a growth phase because it's always been a big championship, but it's sort of, 
it's on the rise in terms of its popularity at the moment and I think it is a good place for drivers to get miles and get exposure and, and have a bit of fun as well because it seems like the guys enjoy racing in that series. Uh, Stefan, what are your thoughts on all that? Well, I think we've seen with Scotty McLaughlin that the right driver can come into a top series from anywhere provided that the pathway is there and and the driver's good enough and they're in the right environment. It's clearly Scotty, the, the Penske thing made that happen from supercars to IndyCar. So as you say, if you look at IndyCar to F1, someone like Pato Ward, who has that McLaren tie, you could you could totally see him doing it and uh, and having a fair, fair crack at it if he gets that F1 chance. But it's still going to be the exception rather than the rule, right? Like to get to F1, most of these Young, young drivers are in a driver program, whether it be Red Bull or Mercedes or Alpine. Um, and, yeah, I just feel like the chances are they're going to be placed in that European system on the way up. Um, so it's certainly going to be possible to get from IndyCar to F1, but um, I don't think it's going to be um, replacing F2 as the premier feeder series. No, no, no. I think it becomes an alternative slash. It becomes... What it becomes is an alternative to Formula One when you come out of that European Junior Series that isn't necessarily the end of your F1 dream, you know? Whereas if you head down a sports car path or something like that, generally that's sort of like, okay, well, the open wheel of things done. So it probably becomes an alternative that leaves the option of still, you know, going Formula One racing up your sleeve. And the other thing is that, you know, drivers tend to be racing IndyCar a bit longer. You don't have to... There's not this focus on, on on youth and that sort of stuff. So, you know, I think there's been – there's IndyCar drivers that sort of – there's particularly a younger crop of IndyCar drivers right now that sort of feel like, hey, I could go to Europe and have a crack at F1 and I could give it two or three years and if it doesn't work out, I can still come back and race IndyCars for another 15 years. So it's certainly got a role to play in the uh, international pathway or, you know, maybe it just becomes, you know, an alternative as opposed to sort of an actual part of the pathway. All right, let's get into our Castrol Stars of the Week. I'm going to go first this week, Stefan, because I'm going to take the very easy option and pick Scott McLaughlin. Um, we know that he can put in those polished race-winning drives at the top level of motor racing. We've seen him do it time and time and time and time again in supercars, but it was still... Really exciting to see him do it so early in his IndyCar career. Early in his career, but at a fairly critical point as well because, you know, you're not going to get a million and one chances of getting it right um, at the top level. Even Roger Penske at some point is going to say, right, we need to, if this isn't working, there were times last year where it was tough for him, but he's turned it around. And as I said at the top of the show, he really looks like um, he's arrived in the series. And, you know, we've heard from an expert that he could genuinely be in the title hunt this year, which is all... Pretty exciting. Who have you got for your star, Stefan? Well, I'm going to go with Matthew Bravham, who won the uh, Indy Lights race at St. Pete. Arguably, he picked a bad weekend to uh, to win, considering he got totally overshadowed by Scotty's performance. But it was still an incredible result for Matt, who um, is back in Indy Lights for the first time since 2015. A few things fell his way in the race. Hunter McElroy crashed out of the lead, and then his... Uh, Matty's teammate ran out of fuel with two laps to go, um, so there was a bit of fortune in there. But uh, it was still a great reward for a for a young guy who is still desperate to get to IndyCar, despite the fact that a lot of the uh, others trying to get there are a bit younger than he is these days. 
Well, if you want to talk about being overshadowed, I think the Scott Pyre livery was uh, sent out about 10 minutes before Scotty Mack crossed the line to win that race. So uh, probably didn't do the... If, uh, if, a, if any the, uh, the, any sponsor announcement should have had good timing, it should have been that one. But anyway. Yeah. Well, that's... Yeah, that didn't necessarily go fantastic, but there you go. Well, look, I think that's it for this week. Uh, Remember to like, subscribe, and review our work wherever you listen to your podcasts, and we'll be back next week to review our first supercars race of the season uh, on the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. Every lap in under a minute. Every move made to matter. Every decision impacting the outcome of the race. Supercars in Perth. Every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint. May 17 to 19. Book now at Ticketek. Supercars. Unforgettable. Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here. And yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication and so much more for all sorts of makes, models and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au.